you can actually move all those customers over like instantly. And so your scale happens very, very quick. Building the public, can you really deliver better than the People will take advantage at every single aspect. User experience today is not great. Don't custody assets and it's not as straightforward as Web2 products. There's a, a clear separation between uh, economics and technology. And in blockchain, those two start to merge. Is blockchain the right technology to help solve that problem? That's going to be your winning driver. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Violetta. How are you? I'm doing well. It's great to see you again. Uh, it was awesome meeting you over in Lisbon. How are you doing? Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. It's quite hot, by the way, in Lisbon right now, but it's, uh, mm. it's going very great. Thank you so much for joining this podcast. I'm uh, very uh, excited and uh, I excited hope that here. our audience is, is also excited to, to hear your insights and uh, sharing your knowledge from Consensus. So Ryan Jones is a director of Pro product management uh, at Consensus and helping right now with uh, products MetaMask and Consensus Taking. Previously, you joined as a director of a product for the ecosystem team, right? So you've been uh, managing several products at the same time in Consensus. Ryan, so tell us a little bit more about yourself, about your background and how you led the products and product development from zero to one. I know that you have a lot of experience. You have been also sure. founder yourself and um, managed great, interesting things. Awesome. Yeah. Happy to go uh, into some background on myself. I'll try to keep it relatively short. Happy to jump into uh, any of it in more detail, of course. Uh, but started my career over at Goldman Sachs, helping manage $5 billion on discretion of multi-asset class portfolios. Uh, I left that to do a tech startup uh, with a good friend from college. We made it so you could view, save, share, and purchase products and images. Uh, didn't really know what I was doing in terms of that startup, but got a lot farther than uh, anticipated looking back at it now. Knew I wanted to stay in tech. Uh, went to a coding boot camp to kind of get that background. Uh, landed over at a company called Pivotal Software, specific, uh, specifically in Pivotal Labs, where we did consultancy to help uh, teams determine value and build out value efficiently for their customers. Uh, from there, uh, moved into our R&D group, where we started to build products essentially for our consultancy customers. And that's really what drove the bulk of our revenue for the company. And that's where I got a ton of my experience when it came to building products zero to one. And so multiple times scaled products from about 13 people in terms of the team starting to over 200 in the span of a year wow. and working from zero dollars to a hundred million dollars in ARR. And I got to do that multiple times, which was uh, really exciting. We ended up going public, uh, got acquired by VMware. I've been working on the side in crypto for a while now uh, and finally got to the point that I wanted to do <laughs> what I was doing nights and weekends full time. Uh, and I joined Consensus, where, as you said, I started uh, as the head of product or director of product for our ecosystem team, which is a, the Ethereum clients and now our L2 uh, Linea, and then moved over to the MetaMask side along with uh, consensus staking. And so I help uh, lead product there. Oh, wow, sounds awesome. So you worked with um, uh, Web2 products and Web3 products. So is there is really, like, really like big difference in product development and how you take from zero to one? I would say yes. Um, what is interesting is some of the products that I was working on over at Pivotal, actually, uh, they were using open source technology and then commercializing that. So it's actually a very similar model when it comes to blockchain technologies. 
right? We have a bunch of protocols that are there and, and they're open sourced. And so you're essentially building on top of those. I, I would say like big differences is the speed at which you can move because a lot of those systems are in place uh, makes it a lot easier because you don't have to build it all in house. Uh, the other part though is it is still relatively early in the space, right? We're talking say Ethereum's like seven years old, eight years old. And so the infrastructure is also still very early on. And so there are a lot of areas that you may have to like fill in the holes. And so trying to figure out where those holes actually are as you're going through that development process can be uh, relatively difficult and then also pretty time consuming to actually get there. So so there's a lot of complexities, uh, but then blockchain, of course, gives you some of the foundational parts that make it a little bit faster in some respects. So it's an interesting dichotomy to be working within um, and is not as straightforward as Web2 products, uh, for sure. Okay, okay, so we are going to go deeper in this, right? So let's see this like more in detail. So founder has an idea, right? So it's a Web3 idea. So uh, here's two things that the blockchain can be helpful in this case. So where to start? So how do you start from idea? It is super important, just like any startup or any product, uh, start with like the lean product development methodologies of understanding, is it actually a problem we're solving? Like the belief is that there is Web3 technology that can make this thing possible, right? And so it's just like any other technology, same thing with AI. You don't want to just use it just to use it. You're using it as a means to be able to do something that you couldn't do before and solve a problem that couldn't be solved before uh, in a similar way. And so uh, when it comes to actually going about leveraging the technology, it really does depend on what that problem statement is that you're going after. And I think a lot of times, too, the, the simplest method is to try to get a uh, MVP out and that POC, like proof of concept out to customers as fast as possible. And what that usually means is use systems that are there in place. They may not be perfect. Uh, use the ones that are most widely used out there. So like, of course, we do a lot in the Ethereum space. That tends to be the largest kind of protocol that's being leveraged. And there's a ton of infrastructure that's already built there. So starting in that realm and don't try to go for decentralization on, on day one, right? Decentralization is a spectrum and there's gonna be different parts of your stack that are decentralized. And so if you can just go and cobble together everything that's already there to get that POC done as fast as possible and get those in the customer's hands, that is gonna be your best method to go and try actually uh, to learn about that. And what is nice is it still is a relatively small space and so there's a lot of people that want to see uh, you succeed. So there's a ton of different developer uh, uh, areas to go to, depending on the protocol and the systems that you're going to use. And they want to help you as well. So, uh, again, that can help speed up your entire process. Um, so definitely start as small as possible. Use what's already there. And, and don't worry about decentralization on day one. Um, but team starts usually to build in public. So it's very difficult to build in public. And once you are like doing everything in public and starts with a small community, of course, like of early adopters, can you really deliver bad MVP? Because like usually like in Web2, like you deliver like kind of like bad uh, version of what you're trying to do. You test it out, you iterate uh, and then like you only start with something more solid. So can you really deliver better MVP in this case, like building a public? Uh, so I think you actually can. 
because it depends on, I think to your point, like a lot of the products are open source and like if you're putting smart contracts and things like that, uh, those are all going to be seen. And like the, I think another part, as you kind of call out is like the, the least amount that you have to do in terms of interacting with the protocols and building smart contracts, the better. Those things can take just a really long time and they have to be really well structured. And so uh, if you can go and you can make closed source software as a means on top of the protocols, uh, that is your starting point. It can still not be the best, uh, but you're really trying just to prove like, is this thing uh, good enough to solve the problems that whatever that community that you're going after is actually there. And it's actually a really interesting sniff test. And one of the reasons why I find, uh, I believe that the blockchain technology is, is here to stay is if you can build something and people are willing to go through the pain and suffering to use it, there is actually value there, right? And so we see that today, even using something like MetaMask, uh, it's not perfect, of course. And there's a lot of uh, hurdles that people will go through to still use blockchain technology because it does provide value to them, even though we're not at that point where it's extremely seamless, easy, and fully secure. Um, it is it is a great sniff test for early stage products. Uh, you mentioned something very, very important, which is security. So what attributes uh, like the Web3 product needs to have like since the day one? Because like, I think that security is one of those. Uh, and yeah. how do you really think about this? Like once you start to, to do the product and like basically the, the, the specs for building the product, because that's from the day one yeah you so so you do bring up a really great point and so uh going back to one of your first questions uh around like what is one of the differences when you're building like especially in the web 2 space right all these there's a, a clear separation between uh economics and technology uh and in blockchain those two start to merge and so there's a, a huge risk when you start to deal with people's money um, and so building something like Twitter, whatever, like there's no money that's associated with it. People can go and do whatever. Uh, and granted, people can try to scam people on there. Uh, but it's, it's not so easy to move funds around, even if someone was trying to scam someone. Whereas within the blockchain space, you're dealing with economics built into the protocols, built into the technology. And so to your point, like security becomes a very, very important method. And so I... I see security again, similarly to decentralization, right? It's a spectrum and it depends on where you are in the stack and what you're dealing with. And the assumption there is like people will take advantage at every single aspect. And so it is really important to yeah, make sure that security is part of it. And I, I guess to your point, when it comes to an MVP in this space, you do have to spend a lot more time and you can't be bad when it comes to the security side because it is like everyone talks about it, it takes forever to build up a reputation, but it takes a day to completely destroy it. And so as soon as you put something out there that puts their money at risk uh, or their security at risk, you're going to very quickly lose those customers to then test with. And so, yeah, security is a very, very important part that's associated with it. And so that's why, like as mentioning, if you can stay away from on day one, contributing to the open source side of the protocol level or needing to change the protocol and stay away from having to build smart contracts and just use a lot of smart contracts that are already out there, that can at least start to decrease the amount of work that you have to put in to really making sure your like day one product has to be secure. And so we actually, a lot of times, um, and maybe an example of this is uh, 
some of our, like our staking product. We are using, uh, we can build our own smart contracts, go through, and we have diligence and all others uh, at the company to help verify the smart contracts and, and the security model that's associated with it. But we will actually go and use other people's smart contracts first to get the product out, validate that there is real value. And then uh, on the background, we'll start working and building our own smart contracts to then replace it later on. And so again, like try to use all the systems that are out there because uh, people have gone through the pain and suffering already for you. And that's the best way, even if it's economically not going to be uh, the biggest value to you. Uh, it is at the very beginning a way to speed up the entire process, which is the most important part. And you're mentioning like the tools, um, how to find the right tools for you. Uh, let's let's start even like with, with even before because some some products are chain agnostic but a lot of uh, like chain specific so how can you really like you have an idea and you're still like trying to basically figure out like what is the space is how do you choose the specific chain for your for your idea and how it's to do it effectively from the day one because it's a fact development time right the fact scalability the user base adoption right so how do you do this yeah so uh luckily at this point like everyone's incentives are aligned and right that's a very uh blockchain focused thing it's like how do we align incentives to kind of move in the same direction and so the infrastructure providers are going to have the exact same incentive. They want to see you succeed because if you succeed, that means you're going to be paying them essentially more. Uh, and so they're going to guide you to try to make the best decisions as possible uh, as a means, depending on what it is that you're trying to build. And so when I talk about infrastructure providers, like, again, you could build a block explorer. You could like set up the RPC nodes yourself. You could do all that work, but like, there's no reason to in the same way in server infrastructure, Right, you could go and set up your own servers, or you could just use Amazon's AWS or Google's GCP. So the same sort of thing, you should be leveraging those infrastructure providers to get up to speed, and then they're going to give you insights and details as to how to start, where to start, why to start there. And so uh, you're talking about things like Infura, right, which is a consensus company. You have Alchemy that's out there and, and others like Morales, right? They do similar sort of offerings. And they'll help provide that guidance along the way and help kind of position what it is you should be looking at, what smart contracts you should be using, um, and what new technology within the protocols that can help leverage what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, and so that's that's probably the best method to start there when when it comes to building. Yeah, and what about the chains? So how how do you how do you really choose this the chain? So we live in a multi-chain world. I still believe right or like from the data. Uh, Ethereum is the most widely used. Uh, I think from a protocol level and what it's doing and where it's going, uh, it has a great roadmap. And so even in uh, the like EVM ecosystem, there are multiple chains that you can build on. And you can also, it makes it easy because they, are, they all are compatible to essentially make it uh, so you can build on multiple chains at one time. And so the general premise as of today is you want to just build where the users are, right? Trying to get people to switch and move and go to different change can be really difficult. And so using a very compatible ecosystem like the EVM makes it really easy so you can deploy to multiple chains. And so individuals can decide if they want to use Polygon, Linea, uh, Mainnet, whatever it is. And you can essentially deploy to all of those all at the same time, depending on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So... I would, I would still push people to live in like the Ethereum ecosystem, 
we of course are working on multiple ways to make it possible to kind of use MetaMask on on any chain. But as of today, right, you're you're seeing most of the users in that space. And what has pretty much been released like this year is making it easier and easier to build on it and cheaper and faster in, in a sense to actually do it. And so I would I would push people to just look and leverage kind of Ethereum technology because that tends to be the easiest to actually get up and running uh, as of now. Whereas before, of course, it wasn't the case, and that's why there's a bunch of other L1s. But a lot of people are moving to to kind of like that L2 paradigm shift. How consensus actually helps uh, to to build in the tree? So do you have specific programs, maybe some tools kit that we could share with uh, our listeners? Yeah, so, so we are ultimately an infrastructure company, right? And like our goal is to just help as many builders as possible to be as successful as possible. And so like, we'll, we'll go, we go all the way down to the protocol level, right? Working with all core devs, trying to make sure that we continue to drive forward. We have our own L2 as a means to help with scalability uh, and decentralization. Uh, and then we have Infura as a means to, as a developer tool to uh, be able to build dApps and connect and not have to run your own nodes. And then we of course have MetaMask as a means to like help manage with identity in the wallet uh, and try to make that as easy as possible. So. Uh, essentially across those different layers. So like if you come to Infura, you're going to get kind of the help on on leveraging different EVMs and different tools that are out there, um, as well as uh, like MetaMask itself, we have a developer relations space. So if you need to leverage a MetaMask or how you want to do it, uh, we have Discord channels that you can join in terms of consensus. You can reach out directly to kind of Infura and the MetaMask groups in terms of developer uh, relations and to get you up and running. And then external from uh, what we have is consensus software inc. Uh, we have consensus mesh uh, and they have like a tachyon X, which is more of like an accelerator incubator. Um, and even there, if you have kind of a new idea and you have a great team and you're going after uh, something kind of like new and innovative, uh, they pretty much bring the entire ecosystem around you to help support you. So uh, there's multiple methods depending on what it is and the state that you're at. Uh, that we want to try to help support you. So I'd reach out uh, to any of them directly as a means to get the help that you need. Okay, so returning to building the, the SPACs. So we have an idea emerging. So we have already like something that we want to we wanna build in, right? So how do you start? How do you make the process efficient? Do you have any tips from your experience, maybe from consensus experience, because in consensus you have built like so many products from zero? Again, it, it kind of depends on the on where you're going in terms of stack. My assumption is that most people are going to be starting kind of at the top, like creating some form of a DAP that's associated with it. Um, and so, the, uh, again, like the thing that is also fascinating about blockchain is it doesn't necessarily have barriers of geography. And so your customer base can be global, but of course there's going to be different needs that are associated with those customers in each of their locations. And so we've seen this a lot with our products is we got, we have to start localizing. Like we can go for like the generalized uh, kind of jobs to be done. Uh, but if we really want to make a product stick, we do need to localize to that specific geography. Um, and so when it comes to like, if you have an idea and you want to go and build something, right? It's going to still be leveraging a lot of those lean product development principles of really figuring out which users start, which could be like a specific geography and finding, making sure that it's like the biggest problem for them. 
designing something out, getting that in front of them. And then as we were talking about, it's like, how can you get something out as fast as possible? So use something like an Infura, use an Alchemy, use a Morales, build your DAP on top of it. Don't build anything uh, yourself. If, if you're seeing yourself like having to create brand new APIs, usually that's a sniff test for uh, someone's poly has it out there. Uh, try not to build that yourself and like get the thing out as fast as humanly possible to your customers, even if that means that it's a, a little costly as a means to do it. Um, we've seen a lot of dApps essentially go and, and spend a year or two trying to build out uh, a brand new application. And the time that it took them is because they're building all these brand new APIs. And so a lot of these providers now have APIs that are available that they didn't have two years ago. So again, try not to like build something from scratch, just really focus on the like user experience uh, upfront. Okay, so user experience. So you're saying that user experience is important. So what what do you think? Because most of products actually right now are kind of like crappy to stay honest <laughs> in terms of user experience. So what is your like perception of how is it changing and what is about like also user adoption and new users coming in into industry? Yeah, so so I'm a big believer that we need to abstract it all away. Um Right. And that's, that's just like any new technology. And like when, when the internet started and, and uh, even like server infrastructure tech, right. Over time you abstract it. And that's where a lot of the real value and the major adoption starts to come in. And so like people, we should get to a point where people don't know they're using blockchain. They don't know that they're like leveraging crypto. It's just, they're able to do things that they didn't do before. And so I think to your point, like user experience today is not great. Like MetaMask, like we talked about that as, as hard mode. You need to understand how blockchain functions in order to actually use it, right? You need to know why you have to bridge. You need to understand that there are multiple networks. You need to understand that there are a bunch of different types of tokens and what those tokens are used for and how to pay for gas and all of that. Like that should, in, in the future, that shouldn't be the case. It should be kind of essentially all, all abstracted away. But uh, when I'm talking about in terms of like user experience for any new product, Really, it's, it's, are you solving the problem that customers have? And it may not look the best and it may not function perfectly, but if you can produce something that people are willing to pick up and they, you're solving a problem that is so important to them that they're willing to go through the poor, like UI or maybe the difficulties and the multiple steps they have to do to still use it. That's a great uh, position to be in, knowing that you're actually going after a problem that's worth solving. And so I, I do think now with the technologies that are there today, you can start to abstract away a lot more. Um, and we're seeing some great examples of that, um, but we're still not not fully to that state yet, but certainly working on it. And um, about the research. So how do you know that you are actually solving the, the real problem? I mean, like there is a very uh, small user base, like initially, right? Because it's still it still needs to be adapted more, right? And it's really difficult also to reach those people who have wallets, right? Because there is no emails, there is no Google ads, like we are used to in, in Web2. So how do you actually like understand that you, like how can you talk with these people and how can you understand that it's a real problem? Yeah, so, so I, there's two parts there that you kind of called out, right? The assumption is that it is easier for people or to get users that are already leveraging the technology and it's a smaller jump to use whatever it is that you're creating. Um, so there's that first part. And then the other one, which is where you're like, that you're bringing up is uh, how do you determine if it's actually like a real problem and that you're solving the problem for them? 
So, so those, those two kind of go hand in hand. I still think though it is, you're building any product using blockchain or not, it's gonna be the same sort of methodologies that you're using. And so it just becomes a question on, is blockchain the right technology to help solve that problem? And so we, we can like, we, we all know what those kind of like methodologies are as a means to do, and you, you still wanna check that. The communication part is really interesting. And that is something uh, that we have also seen as a major problem that we're working with some partners on to try to help solve. As of today, right, you can't communicate with uh, end users in an easy way. And that communication probably should be within the wallet as that is where you actually have your assets and that's what you're looking at routinely. Um, and so we, we do feel like, I, I, I really feel for a lot of the founders and a lot of the developers and, and projects that have been out there because they've been essentially on hard mode since like the beginning. Uh, not being able to communicate or find or advertise, uh, those are like key growth mechanisms when it comes to any application or product that's out there. Um, and without having that, like it is, it is very, very difficult. So like it, people, anyone who's out there building and who has been building like uh, hats off to them. Um, it is something that we certainly want to help solve sooner than later, because it should be built into the ecosystem where you can actually communicate with your customers and help incentivize them and help give them insights and help like bring them back uh, to that specific product. So um, I think as of today, trying to find those customers, trying to get in front of those customers, you have to be very creative. It's very difficult, uh, but hopefully in the near future, we can make it a lot easier uh, to actually like build that communication layer. And, and we saw kind of like the, the very first of it, I would say, um, with Coinbase Wallet uh, in terms of their chat, uh, but it's only P2P um, and, it's, and it's closed right now. Uh, like I, I think it's like an early beta. Um, but as time progresses, you could start to envision that in your wallet itself, you'll be able to directly communicate with your customers and have a better sense of, of where those are. And there's others like Binance who are, have kind of like their um, app store uh, where you can go and get more insights of what's there. And maybe you would expect to have those and, and Coinbase has something similar, but you'll expect to have some of those things start to show up more and more, especially in these major wallet providers. So. Uh, hopefully, as, as time progresses, right, the technology is getting easier to develop with, we can get better in terms of communicating and finding customers, uh, that should make those things easier as well. But yeah, there, there's essentially two parts of that. One, we need the infrastructure to get there. And another is using the, the common tactics of, of actually trying to find who has a big problem, and then is your solution uh, actually solving the problem for them? And is that market actually big enough to warrant it? Yeah, the usual uh, tests that you can run, it's like surveys and choose. Do you have any like recommendations? What is like your user base uh, should be for this kind of uh, the, like tests and uh, stage? Yeah, uh, great, great point. So yeah, there's definitely different stages that you were calling out in terms of uh, product like validation. Uh, usually to start, like you don't have to build anything and you can start trying to understand validation that's associated with it. Uh, by just speaking to say like five or 10 users and iterating over and over again. And you need to actually interact and speak with them and understand like, is this a top three problem for them or not? If it's not, they're not gonna do it. Um, and then as time progresses, when you get a product actually out, right, you need to get at least hundreds of users using your product to understand how sticky is it for them? And is it actually like useful for the problem that they had? having that sort of data at least helps you understand if you're on the right track. Um, of course, you need to understand if it's a big enough product 
or a big enough user base that's associated with it as well. Um, and so that really depends on the geography uh, and people that you're going after to start in terms of determining that actual market size. I, we tend to use that as a means to like start scaling and start going. And so even when we release a new product, we don't release it to all the MetaMask users. We release it to say like less than 1% as a means to make sure that everything's working, as a means to make sure that this is like actually useful for them to understand if there's issues that are associated with it. And sometimes we won't release to the rest of the customers. We'll stop uh, the release process, go back, make fixes, iterate, and then again, go through the exact same process of releasing to a small group. And like we, we do this with most of the features that we have. And like, as I was talking about, even with the five to 10, we'll do that with usability testing and designs before we even start building. So it's the same sort of method that you want to use kind of over and over, start with that small group, get a lot of information, release out to a, a slightly larger group, get data that's associated with it, make sure you're on the right track. If not, come back, go back to the drawing board, iterate and do it again and again and again. And uh, what metrics do you uh, look for in the, in the product in Web3? In terms of the overarching product, right? We, we want stickiness a lot uh, and engagement. Uh, that's really important, right? That's, that's going to be day one. And, and it is um, in the space, like, as you said, it's, there's, there's not a ton of people. People are using it around the world. People need this technology. They, it's like their livelihoods are associated with it, which is, which is great to see. And we need to make, of course, better products. But in terms of like actual metrics, like we want to see that this is like helping them take in action and helping them do that action routinely because without retention, right, you can get something and you can use whatever incentives you want to. And this is like, you, you kind of brought this up when we were talking previously, which is like, can it, because uh, economics are built into code, uh, can incentives give you a false sense of product market fit? And so you can use whatever methods, throw money, everyone loves free money, throw a ton of money at people. And that's what airdrops are. You get it, this crazy huge spike. And then it just completely gets decimated, right? There's no retention. There's no engagement that's associated with it. And especially at the very beginning, those are the things you want people, you want a few people to just love your product. Like that is, that is the first part that you want. You want people to rave about your product because similar to what you were saying, the communication layers in uh, web three are, are just not there yet. Um, and so if you have people that just use word of mouth, uh, that really say like, Hey, I have this thing. It allows me to solve this problem. You should check it out. That's going to be your winning driver. Like not, not necessarily just giving them free money, but like a friend telling a friend you're going to win. And that that's ultimately like why MetaMask is where it is today. Like it started off, people were using it. It solved the problem in a new way, uh, that people had, they told their friends, there was a bunch of bloggers that were out there, videographers, all of them were going out and just talking about this product. And that's what really drove, we, we did no marketing to start when it came to MetaMask. And like, that is what drove that adoption and that growth. That's a, yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point about the incentives and, uh, uh, and the airdrops, because this is, could be like wrong metrics. And that's what I also see a lot, you know, like once you are, um, like an investor, you can see like there is like those spikes and they, they specifically, you know, some projects, they try to show these spikes and uh, and then it's all drops. So, but the thing is, yeah, so for long-term product, if, you, if you're building a long-term product, this is very, very important for you to understand by itself, like from the day one and just set up the right KPIs and to set up the right, the right metrics to follow. And this is, uh, sure. uh, yeah, 
that's a problem actually in Web2 as well. Uh, people just set up wrong KPIs since the since the day one, and that's very difficult to to find the the product market fit in the end. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, there is also like you know, code is uh, like blockchain code is mutable, right? So does it affect like the product development cycles in in, in general? Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yes. So, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, as you said, blockchain, uh, the technology itself is, is meant to be immutable. Um, it is interesting, similar to like decentralization and security. It's all spectrum. So there's different uh, parts that are meant to be immutable, but depending on like what percentage, right? So you can, you can actually roll back transactions uh, if you have everyone in agreement and, and uh, some of the hacks that have happened. Um, so, like, as a collective, there are methods to to uh, mutate them, but they're very, very difficult to actually do, which is the whole point. Um, and when it comes to blockchain development, because of that, uh, it can take a very, very long time. And so I think similar to what we were talking about before, if you don't have to touch anything on the protocol layer, if you don't have to smart, uh, write a smart contract, if you don't have to deal with anything of the, like, immutable sense, don't do it. Use someone else's build on top, get your value out, prove that it's there, and then you can always go back and start going lower in the stack. Um, and so uh, everything that we do takes longer than anticipated. I think a lot of people have grand ideas in the space, which is great in how to use this technology. Um, but the big thing that we've, we've had to do at Consensus is, is try to like, how do, we, how do we focus to today, right? Like Joe, our, our founder, uh, he's this great visionary. He's thinking a decade from now, and there's a ton of things that we can do. But where's the technology today? How do we take that step back? How do we start with that like foundational part parts and take one step at a time? And that's really, really important. Like we said, like the communication layer isn't there. Uh, trying to build that in the space takes a lot of time, takes a lot of groups, uh, takes a lot of partners to actually do it, to actually do it in, in a way that's able to be leveraged across the ecosystem. Um, and so, yes, the immutable nature and the open source portion of it, all of that together just takes a very long time to actually get moving. So if you don't have to touch it, don't do it. Uh, we have other companies like Consensus who are spending the, the years, decades, trying to continue to move these things forward and build that foundational uh, infrastructure for uh, developers out there. Uh, do you see a lot of like fake Steve Jobs in this sense because of that? So if you like need to uh, like need to focus on the product and you try to to make everything work from the first day, and that's why like like what I see also in Web two, for example, many people just try not to to get feedback and not to have a crappy MVP, but like you know to have like right away the good product, big product. Like, and, uh, you know, like this, uh, yeah, this notion of fake Steve Jobs, like uh, having a great product since day one. Uh, so what about Web3? Can, can it really can be, <laughs> can be the case or some maybe, maybe uh, yeah. interesting cases? Um, yeah, so, so, I mean, there's definitely a, I say an issue probably in Web3 where a lot of people will have these, like, they'll, they'll talk about these grand visions and these grand things that are going to be built. And it comes back to like, is the technology actually there or not? And a lot of times we're still not actually at that place. Like it's still very early and very new. Um, and so a lot of times people have to backpedal and go and actually try to figure out like, what is that first step to get to that really long-term vision? 
Um, and that's where a lot of times people certainly falter. Um, I do think like there, there's some amazing innovations and that's what's really interesting in the space is uh, people will just come out, out with things and all of a sudden it'll shift the industry. Like there'll be some new ERC standard uh, in addition of an EIP, uh, like any of those things, like all of a sudden, like it changes. And, and this is while building with open source, like you, everyone is downstream from the open source technology. So all of a sudden they make some pivot or change in the protocol. And all of a sudden now you can do something that you couldn't do before. And so like that is really fascinating because anyone can contribute at these different levels. And all of a sudden, as you're building a product, you're sitting here and people are contributing and it's starting to shift and change like what you can actually do at the same time. And so I think that part is starts to like, you're, you're going to probably always be wrong in that grand vision. And so realizing that, uh, how do you make sure that you don't pigeonhole yourself to that vision and saying, this is exactly what we're going to build. It's more of like, here's a problem we're trying to solve. Here's how we're starting. Here's that vision to that first increment is really the important part on actually getting out there. And like, I would, I would love to see kind of more and more people essentially do that and, and really take um, a check at like where we are today. And yes, we want to do these amazing, crazy things a decade, two decades from now. But like, where can we start and where can we come together to really align on just getting those foundational pieces still there and take take the time that it's going to take to actually get there? It's uh, some of the things are very, very difficult also to to build like since the day one. It's it's a it's a great advice. And you've been saying a lot about open open source and yeah, all the code is open source. And we have seen already also some of the copycats in the industry. So once you're building the product, you actually build also competitive advantages, right? Uh, in, in a way for, for, your, for your product. So how do you do mm -hmm. this with open source and also like low switching costs in, in Web3? Yeah, yeah. So, so that is, uh, you're bringing up some really great points in terms of like why it's so different in terms of building. Like a, a big proponent for us, like on, on the MetaMask side, is like we always want to give the right to exit. Right. Like one of the hard parts about Web2 is like it is a walled garden. That's why it's so valuable. And like to move and to do something else is really hard because you lose everything. In Web3, because we're all using the same protocols, that data you can take anywhere. So you can just like swap. Essentially, you're swapping out the UI. because like I like the way this thing looks versus this thing. So I'm just going to take and start using the one that looks better. Um, and that's super fascinating in terms of uh being able to actually do that. So like, it goes back to like, not everything needs to be open source. Uh, the value of being open source is, is like the transparency right? and that's a big part of blockchain. So that people can check your code, give you feedback, call out issues, but even like MetaMask itself, like it is open source, um, but it, it doesn't necessarily, uh, it's more commercial licensed, right? So people can't take it, go and like basically do a copycat spin it up, get a bunch of users. Uh, otherwise, there's legal ramifications associated with it. Um, but we do want to make sure that it's it's totally transparent in what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, but yeah, as individual teams and projects, you can determine like what is open source versus what is not. And then if you're using those same protocols, so your differentiation is really going to be on the on like actually the product, right? And so there is going to be that realm of like, are we solving the problem? For, like we go back to this over and over. But are we solving the problem for our customers the best way possible and really listening and giving them that? Because someone could sit there and they could go and copy and realize you're using certain smart contracts, uh, you're using whatever protocol, uh, they could see the UI that, that you have, 
and try to copy the exact same thing and try to push it out. But they're always going to be behind if they're if you're not the one that's actually going and talking to the customers, understanding what their problems are, working on that over and over. And you build, you essentially build that trust, right? And we see this again, like with MetaMask, the most widely used wallet out there. Now, the amount of wallets, there's dozens, if not more wallets that are out there, they're going after customers, but they're not able to get the same sort of traction, even though their functionality can be roughly the same. They're using a lot of the same technologies. It really is like that differentiator of uh, being trusted and listening to customers and making sure that you're solving the problem that's most important for them at the time. Um, and so it, it is a little bit different from that, um, but it does make it also easier to get customers if you actually are able to build something that is uh, valuable to them. And we saw this with a lot of like the NFT marketplaces and all that, like OpenSea, of course, uh, was the largest, um, but it was actually because of the low switching costs. If you came out with something different, had a different twist, help uh, certain users that maybe one product wasn't, you can actually move all those customers over like instantly. And so your scale happens very, very quick. So even though uh, you can certainly lose customers quickly, you can gain them quickly. So it's kind of a double-edged sword in the space. Would you say that uh, speed of execution, uh, like one of those, those competitive advantages here, can it be? Yes, I, I think building any product, right? It's all about speed. Um, depending on, of course, what you're doing, like you have to slow yourself down on purpose. Um, but yeah, speed is going to be your best, best method to go and get iterations. And that speed is really like, you need to get the uh, product into customers' hands. You need to make sure you're getting that feedback, you're leveraging that feedback, and you're iterating over and over again. Um, and that that's why, like, not having to deal with the protocol, not having to write smart contracts, not, like, having to run your own nodes, use systems that are out there, that can help speed you up as, as much as you possibly can. And, like, an example, uh, over at Pivotal, we were building server infrastructure tech leveraging Kubernetes. And these were, like, Fortune 500 companies using these products. And we were actually able to move so fast that we could do releases every week, right? And, and to give some example, like most of the time, the products in the space, they would release maybe quarterly, maybe every six months. And we got to a state where uh, companies were actually telling us we had to slow down. So on purpose, we changed our release cadence to monthly as a means to allow for them to catch up to every single release and make sure that we're uh, making it accessible to them. So again, it, it like with our... Uh, MetaMask portfolio, we are releasing eight times a day with the extension, right? It might be more on a monthly cadence because there's so many more security checks and everything else that has to go in place. So it really depends on the product, but the faster you can go, as long as it works for your customers, is like the best method and make sure that you're, every time you're making a release, like it is a canary, right? The, the excitement and the celebration shouldn't be that the release was made. It's the fact that now you actually get to learn from that release and then iterate from there. And so the real work happens once the release actually goes out. Yeah, very cool, very cool, thank you. Um, about regulation, um, so some of the areas, especially finance, are highly regulated, right? So, and uh, because of economics and uh, like um, the technology is really here is like binded, right, in a way. Mm -hmm. So. Which, uh, what advice would you give like to think from the day one, like in terms of like regulation? And we know that it's also changing like very quickly from country to country. So is there any tips? Kind of goes back to like leverage of technology that's out there. Uh, so don't like leverage MetaMask, 
uh, as a means, right? There, we're, we're taking on uh, some of those like security responsibilities essentially for you. Um, don't custody assets, right? So like the, the traditional financing or finance sector, right? It's all like the way that the system has worked, it's all custody, right? There, there was no other choice. And so a lot of the regulations that you're seeing today is, is really centered around some form of custodying assets because the goal of regulation is to really just protect consumers and to make sure, and like we saw this with FTX, right? Is we want to make it so that people who have their funds, they're entrusting someone else to hold their funds and act in their best interest if they don't, like, that is a really, really big problem. But when you're dealing with self-custodying assets, and that's what this technology finally allows for people to do, right, it changes kind of the paradigm of the financial system to, like, what it's been with its custodying assets and self-custody. Um, that changes the game because the onerous is on the individual to manage those assets, and it's only as good as the technology that's enabling it. And so I think from a regulatory perspective, try to stay in the self-custody realm uh, as much as possible leverage let others take on the security risks as much as you can so smart contracts or wallets and really build in that sector uh if you can uh on really trying to to produce value uh, and not have to deal with as much of that security risk that's associated with it okay okay and well the last um the last question like you've been already saying and many others like don't decentralize too early so roadmap is public, right? So you're building in public. So how can you really control your roadmap while, while you are still uh, building uh, the product? Obviously, like decentralization maybe don't, doesn't happen like from the day one, but anyway, like the decision-making afterwards is still, uh, is still a fact, right? The product development, like what features will be first released. So can you really control the roadmap? What are the best tips and how to how to do this and when is like, do you need to think even about decentralization? Again, it really depends on what it is that you're building. Uh, so if you're building a DAP, like you can keep a roadmap pretty close source. You don't have to necessarily make it public unless it's helpful to just get the feedback. And the assumption is your roadmap's always gonna be changing. Um, if you are building completely open source product, right? Uh, that for sure, like needs to be out there and available. And the whole point is usually if you're building an open source product, it's usually there as a means to like help provide value to the community uh, itself. Um, and so, so like, again, you still have control of that roadmap, but it is going, you're going to be able to get a lot more feedback and insights along that, like along the way. Um, when it comes to decentralization, again, and like, it really depends on where you are on the stack and like the va- it goes back always to value of customers. So like, there is a partner that we're uh, looking to work with uh, or a protocol that we're looking to work with and leverage. And for us, we want like them to be decentralized um, as a means before we can actually start using it so that we can decrease the amount of risk that's associated with uh, something going wrong. Um, and so for them, right, this is probably the means. It's a customer that's coming to them saying, we want to use you, but in order to use you, you need to be decentralized across these sort of parameters. And like that is incentivizing them to essentially uh, make that change at that time. Before that, everything was, let's get the technology into a good place, prove that we can do these things, show the use cases, show the value. We're not going to spend the time and money to decentralize until we absolutely have to get there. And that's necessary. And so, again, it's like your customers are going to essentially tell you when that needs to happen. Uh, and so, again, leverage that those insights, leverage the, the knowledge from those customers to then use that as your driving factor to actually get there. Okay, so wrapping up. So again, like the, how to 
uh, how to build a winning Web3 product. So first, idea. Second, validate idea. So you continue. Like, let's do the steps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for, first off, like Web, like the blockchain itself is a technology. Right. It's a technology that will enable you to do something you couldn't do before. So it's always best to just leverage the standard frameworks of understand who your user is. Is it big enough, big enough space to go after? Uh, do they have a core problem, right? It needs to be a top three problem uh, that needs to be solved. And then uh, can you actually solve it? And sure, if you're using blockchain technology to solve that, then you start going down the route of how do you actually leverage and what specific blockchain technology that you use. Um, and the best method, of course, is get an MVP out to those customers as fast as possible to leverage existing ecosystem that's already out there. So work with the people like Infura, the Alchemies, leverage something like MetaMask, use the smart contracts that are there, build the UI and the UX that's associated with what it is that needs to like give them access and get those to those customers as fast as possible. And then, as you said, really make sure that that loop is as quick as humanly possible to get the feedback from those customers. Don't focus on necessarily decentralizing, but you may, depending on what the product is that you're building, need to really make sure that you have security thought of upfront uh, that's associated with it. But yeah, luckily it's, it's still leveraging all the same product building frameworks. It's just, there's a few caveats when you use blockchain technology versus kind of like a standard web two technology that's out there. Yeah. And don't forget about security and uh, right KPIs to set up right KPIs from the beginning. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Great call. All right. Yeah. I think this was a very interesting talk and I think we cover it like most of, uh, most of it. It's like a good, good framework for someone who is touching building right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, um, I know it's relatively high level, um, but hopefully like the main premise, right. is just, it's a new technology, just like any others try to do like be lazy is, is kind of the <laughs> thing. Uh, don't build it all, try to get something out as fast as possible. Uh, and that's, that's really like the, the general framework kind of across the board. Um, so yeah, it's, it's exciting. There's a ton of builders out there. It's a really interesting technology. It changes so rapidly. Um, and that's what's like, at least for me, really, really exciting. Yeah. It's a very exciting space. Very exciting. And still a lot to build. Yes. A ton. We're very, very early still. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ryan. It was a very big pleasure and thank you for your insights and sharing with the community. Well, thank you for taking the time and thank you for doing this. Thank you.